Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. Hello, all you larks out there. This is Russ coming to you live from this week's LARCast. I've got a special guest with me who's been on here just a number of times. One of our team members, Mr. Jameson Allen, the resident theologian of LARC. How you doing, bro? Doing good. Coming live from Clive, Iowa. Clive, Iowa. Where is Clive, Iowa? Uh, Clive is right on the western edge of Des Moines. So it feels like you're in Des Moines, but technically not. Okay. Is this, is this like a Tony thing? Just out of curiosity where like you live in Chicago land, you get to benefit from all the Chicago land amenities. You get to be fans of all the Chicago land sports, but you live right outside the city limits. So you don't have to pay all those enormous Chicago taxes. Is this a Clive Des Moines thing? Uh, I don't think so. (laughs) <laughs> That's no. not quite that intense. I can walk 400 yards to the east, and uh, I'm I'm in Des Moines. So, okay, Tony, okay. Tony, you got to drive like 40 miles to get to his house from Chicago. Well, from like the heart of it, yeah, yeah. From like the city limits, it's pretty close. But yeah, if you want to get downtown, it's going to take you a little bit. But I mean, where do you go in Chicago, dude? That doesn't take you a little bit. I mean, I lived there in the city for like four years pastoring. And I remember my daughter's school, Hamilton, was 1.2 miles from our apartment in the city. And it would take me 45 minutes in the morning to drive that 1.2 miles. That's, yep. Right? Just crazy when you think about it. But all that said about geography and where we all live and what the heck we're doing, dude, glad to have you on here. This is a church 2.0 conversation. Seriously, for all of you who are listening in, all of you larks and those soon-to-be larks. And what I mean by that is people who have found the joy of living in the uninhibited freedom that Jesus has invited us into. And people say, what do you mean by uninhibited freedom, Russ? Do you mean like we can go rob banks and Jesus still loves us. To which case I say, actually, yeah, that's, what's crazy about it. He'll, he'll still love you. That said, you'll probably spend a life in prison and you'll wish to hell that you didn't rob banks. Um, So you might find yourself looking to the scriptures and going, maybe there's a better way in Jesus. That said, let's not negate the fact that it doesn't mean that he doesn't. Yeah. Love you. It hasn't set you free to learn what it looks like to live by faith in him. That's this conversation. That's what Lark's about. And that's kind of where we are right now. We just got done podcasting last week, reclaimed chapter seven, a book that Tony and I wrote. It's available on Amazon. If you haven't got a chance to check that out, you can also find it at the website, larksite.com. Click on reclaim. You'll see what it is. You can grab a copy of the book. You'll also find that if you create a free account there on our website, you'll get access to questions and dialogues and a chance to chat with us as individuals on questions that you have. You'll also find a series of videos that goes with the book. Da, 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 da. Yes. Welcome to this. If you're new, but 
This week, we are basically taking a quick little pause to say this conversation of church has created a lot of excitement, um, a lot of tell me more, um, a number of questions that have come in from people who are going, I've only known church under the guise of it's this building and it has these services and there's this leader that you're accountable to and you need to go and plug into all these things that you become this person that Jesus desires. And you guys are unpacking the scriptures and saying, well, actually, the church is far bigger and broader, much more inviting and actually far more reckless than that. And that's led to this conversation of Reclaim Chapter 7, Church 2.0, with you, Jameson, on here, just to bring an additional voice to this. And by the way, folks, if you hear this sound, I don't know if you heard that or not. I hope you did. Barely. Barely. That's me rubbing my hands together from these 1994 Boulder Canyon avocado oil, salty, just Dang. amazing ruffled potato chips, bro. I ain't gonna lie, I'm a sucker. Those for look plain, so good, <laughs> salty potato chips. I'm like, like a crack addict, Adam. Man, I can't help it. I really can't. If they're in my vicinity, I don't know how to eat a few. So my wife just buys like the family bag and knows that, yeah, if I get one, I get all. And that's kind of where I'm at right now and really just enjoying this. And if you're wondering if this podcast was brought to you by Boulder um, Canyon potato chips, it, it was not. <laughs> It'd be cool if it was, but it wasn't. Um, this is just me giving a shout out to this classic sea salt, as it says. If you're watching this on YouTube, you know what I'm talking about. And dude, they're just... I can't stop, man. I can't stop. So, uh, yep. Anyway, somebody's it. like, dude, Rush, you're like really excited, man, those first few minutes of the podcast. Well, that's why I just ate a bag of these things in the last eight minutes leading up to hitting record. And I'm on cloud nine. It's a special thing uh, that you bring to the table, Russ, that I think a lot of more people need to learn to appreciate is how many words that you can use to explain your current favorite food uh, <laughs> addiction, <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> My neighbor last night invited me over, came down, new neighbor down the street, came over and he's like, Hey man, I got some food, you know, we're about to throw on the grill. You and your family, man, come on down. Been chatting with him lately. So I'm like, yeah, dude, what you got? And, he, and anyways, he went recent, you know, he basically broke down like a recent trip to the keys and then a couple of, you know, recent, uh, fishing trips that he made here where I live. And let's just say that he had fresh stone crabs, uh, yellowtail, redfish, all like deep fried or on the grill with some cheese grits, bro. And some jalapeno corn, but you know, cornbread pudding. And I ain't gonna lie, man. I was, I'm, I may or may not have eaten like four plates. Just saying. <laughs> So somebody was like, man, what do you do on Sundays? I'm like, I eat at my neighbor's house. Well, why do you do that? Because Jesus is good. What yeah. do you call that? I call that going on a lark. <laughs> That's what I do in the name of church. Done. We don't even need to talk about anything else, dude. There's the church 2.0 conversation. It's that simple. So, dude, thanks for joining us, Jameson. Yeah. Yeah, just kidding. Okay. I'll be here while you clear everything up and wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. It's like you say that as a joke, but at the same time, it's like, well, 
you want to get biblical, it really is that simple, but we'll keep going. So for this episode, dude, I'm going to just fire away at you because I know you field a lot of questions and thoughts and ideas that come into Lark. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll see where this thing goes, man. Let's see. So here we are, church 2.0. What does it look like if we took Jesus at his word? So right off the bat, Jameson, what did Tony and I, because as you know, dude, we can't hit possibly everything in one episode. But if you had to pick like one thing that you're like, oh man, I wish you guys would have went into this, or I wish you would have went further into this topic, this idea, this thought, when it comes to being the church in the sense of identity. Okay. And when I say identity, I just mean that we are the church by nature of who we are as people who have said yes to Jesus, wherever we are, right where we are, this is the biblical understanding of church. Now that said, what did, what, what should we have gone further into dude, or maybe hit that we did go. Hmm. Oh, that's not a hard question necessarily because of an answer, but because there's, it's such an endless discussion that there's so many things we could talk about. And I don't know, you guys hit probably 45, 50 minutes on a subject that has filled books and books. So I think the very, one of the very top things that comes to mind that I don't think you guys left out necessarily, but more of this is going to be so helpful. And that is um, interpreting not just scripture, but interpreting pretty much everything (laughs) Christologically. What does it mean to look at myself, um, my friendships, my family, my life, the things we do through what the New Testament reveals about Jesus? And I say that because the New Testament reveals Jesus as a person, right? He's not an idea. Good point. He's not a proclamation. He's not a story. The The New Testament reveals Jesus as a person. <laughs> um, and not just a person, but he's a human who is the incarnate living God, the image of the invisible God, who is face to face with the Father, as it says in John 1. Uh, in Hebrews 1, he's the exact imprint of this nature of God. It gets better because it also says in the New Testament that this Jesus is face-to-face with the Father, the image of God himself. He is God in the flesh, but he's in you and you are in him. So if we're going to talk, Christological is a big word, so I'm going to use it because it helps me not say a ton more words. But all that I mean is, You take the theology of Jesus that we learn from the scriptures. And then like the study of God from the scriptures. Yep. Everything we can learn about Jesus Christ that we've learned from the scriptures in relation to everything else in the scriptures. When you study Jesus Christ, you're talking about Christology. So when I say Christology, there's a lot in that word that I'm kind of using to talk here, but it's, it's important because Christology often winds up as one in the list of many. 
things of how you talk about God. But the way the scriptures <laughs> talk about Jesus, make yeah, I was gonna him, say. yeah the way going. the way the scriptures talk about Jesus, don't set him up as one item among many. <laughs> like right. he's not one star in a constellation. He is what it says in Colossians is the one through and by and for and in whom all things were created. So he not only created everything, but everything exists continually in and because of him. So you can't just say, we're going to talk Christologically for a minute. <laughs> like yeah. Jesus. It's like saying like, we're going to talk about gravity for a minute, or we're going to talk about like breathing air for a minute. You know what as I mean? As if it's Breath optional. Yeah. As if you're coming in and going, well, gravity is sort of like, I don't know, has an authority over everything, kind of like air. It wouldn't even be a conversation <laughs> at any point, anywhere apart from it. So, okay. So the Christological understanding, right? This Christology, this study of all things because of Jesus, period, full stop. Yep. And what you're saying is that needs to be first and foremost in the conversation of church. Am I right or wrong? Tell me, tell me more. You're absolutely right. And a lot of people wouldn't necessarily bat an eye at that, but when you start to hold a thread on how they hold together everything they hold together and why it's so important to visit a building every Sunday morning to do a certain set of things that they deem to be not just fundamental, um, but the essence of church. They've come to that conclusion, not realizing that they have actually bypassed Christology <laughs> to get there. Um, you bypassed what it means for Jesus to be who Jesus is. And so, and not always, um, but at some point, that's true. At some point in all of us, our theology, the way we live our lives, we wind up skipping right past these ultimate claims that the scriptures make and just placing them in this category of like what we said earlier. It's just, it's one item among many. So mm, the two, okay. the two things you miss are what I said first are Jesus is one with the father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father he's anointed in the Holy spirit. So you have in Jesus, you can't, when you say Jesus, you don't just mean Jesus. You never can. If you say Jesus, Jesus Christ, biblically, you mean right. the Father and you mean the Spirit. They're all implicated in one another. But the craziest part, it comes out in John like crystal clear. John 14, 20, it says, in that day, you will see that I am in the Father and you are in me and I in you. These aren't conditional. These aren't predictions. These aren't possibilities or potentialities it's jesus saying something that is true that you'll eventually learn how to see so if to say jesus christ it means everything where i'm saying then let's put it into a really small sentence to say jesus christ is to say that you are in the one who is in the father russ you right. <laughs> me we yep. are in the one who is in the father by necessity, by definition, because of how the scriptures lay out who created who, why he created them, 
and how he upholds them in life. Mm. Yeah, that's uh that that um that proclamation, that assertion that you just made, I would agree with. I would say that yes, it is in the scriptures. He doesn't say that this will become a reality. He says in that day when I come back, right? From the grave and you're going to see all of this in reverse, you're going to realize that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And I've always been in you, in you, in me. There was a, a sermon that I gave probably about six weeks ago at a location. And um, although it received a standing ovation at the end, it did not receive a standing ovation from other powers that be in the universe who deemed it as heretical. Even though I was, you know, quoting scriptures like you're quoting right now, very, you know, the very words of Jesus, even the very words of Paul that talks about the grace of God that was given to us before, it says in 2 Timothy, before the beginning of time, it says. God's grace, his love, and his declaring a reality over us, okay, in him was given to us before the beginning of time. And it was made known it says right there in your Bibles made known through the coming, dying and rising of Jesus. So to which case I'm in, in relation to what you're saying, I'm saying, amen. Mm -hmm. I'm also saying that uh, as beautiful as that is, and as welcoming as that is to anybody in the universe who has come to the end of their virtuous, physical, moral <laughs> right rope whatever it might be um it will land you in hot water among the religious world that says no that cannot possibly be true that is why we need the church an insert within that okay an understanding of the church as an institution with leadership and programs and services, offering principles and practices for you to live so that you can become like Jesus and either A, for some camps, be welcomed into the life of Jesus, or B, other camps that would go, no, 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 we're all about grace by faith alone. However, however, you're going to need to do these things to prove that you really have grabbed a hold of by faith through grace alone. <laughs> Like that's been my perspective, man, of the last 24 years running in this ministry world. So for what you're saying is there is a Christological understanding of the person of Jesus at the center of all things, period. Who God is, who we are, why we exist, how we awaken to this reality, who we are in this reality, what life looks like in this reality. That all defines, right? Faith, love, grace, hope, uh, meaning, purpose, discipleship, sanctification. Oh, and by the way, church. So am I, am I getting all that correct? Yeah. Amen, dude. <laughs> I've passed the test. All right. So we got this understanding, right? Our audience is going, okay, I need to understand that to even look at the church being a part, being a, a declaration, um, an identity marker, you could say, of who I am because of Jesus. 
right? Where do you go with that, man? In the modern world, where do you go when everyone says, no, you need to become blank and that's why you need blank and therefore you need to be at blank or you don't belong to blank. Oof. A couple things. That's a big the, one, right? The first, I want to talk a little bit about there's a really critical reason we are where we are right now in our understanding of church in the modern, like, um, formal church, traditional church, or like organizational, institutional. Uh, that's all one big bucket in how I'm going to talk about it. All but right, the second thing, Glad so there's some ahead. history. Let's do some history and then let's do a little bit of the reality of life otherwise. <laughs> a little right. bit of this like, okay, but if this is true about Jesus and what church did with it along the the arc of history changed it, well, then what can we be and do? So number one, looking at how things developed, and this is going to be a a 35,000 foot flyover. So forgive me for how brief this will sound. Look, dude, you fly over. I'm going to agree. Cause I know we've had these conversations 1 million times over the years <laughs> and I love it. And I love that our audience gets to join in it. And I'm still always learning these things, but while you're chatting, dude, seriously, give us the 35,000 foot view and I'm going to eat avocado oil, boulder chips as you do. Go. All right. Bring it. I wish I was eating those. Okay. So, the church, if it is whatever the church is, it can't be something that is only defined by where we are today. So most of us decide, oh, I've got to look back into the scriptures to see. But here's the catch. What we do today in the name of church is by no means, and by no, I mean zero, by no means is it the absolute necessary or inevitable outcome of what a church is to be. If you've just read the New Testament, if that's all you ever had, you would pretty much never land on the sort of church that we have in the world today in America, which mm. is something that happens on a Sunday in a building that requires, like, if you don't have a sermon or if you don't have a salaried pastor who's preaching, you know, yeah. where there's a whole bunch of people facing one person. Music. Um, that's another big one for a lot of people. Music. Yep. Uh, like something in the along the lines of a Sunday school or a teaching or training curriculum, yep. and then all all manner of service opportunities. We we tend to view all of those things as the the marks. Like, yeah, that's what a church is. Mm. None of those are inevitable uh, definitions of church coming out of the New Testament. So yes, when the when the church happened, right. Ecclesia is the like way you say in our letters a Greek word for church, right? Um, and the New Testament came to us in Greek, so ecclesia was what they would use. We came along, and there's this idea, not even an idea, there's this people who come together celebrating their union with this resurrected Christ who appeared to them they're celebrating him they're passing on to one another and to the world around them the news that this guy is resurrected and that he's promising the same to others so when you get 
here's a couple fascinating things. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, these things were formalized before our Bibles were formalized. So the whoa, New whoa, Testament whoa. did not reach its final state, or its official status as the canon, the Bible, the 66 books with the New Testament added. It didn't happen until around 400 AD. Before that, we had the Apostles' Creed. And do you know what the Apostles' Creed does not say? Mm, it does not say what you do. <laughs> it doesn't say how you become the church. It doesn't say what you're supposed to do as the church. All this creed says is who God is, and therefore, in light of that, who we are. Okay. And it... Hit pause. Yep. Because that's killer moment before you keep going. Just pulling this together. Yep. So Jesus comes back from the grave, right? Shows himself over 500 witnesses, makes breakfast for all of his friends. You know what I'm saying? After the resurrection, there's this beautiful, like, you know, numerous encounters. He spends 40 days teaching them to help them really grab onto what he's always been saying, but yet they failed to grasp, right? Now they're starting to grasp, yet fully still not getting a hold of this thing. He just ascends and says, spirit is given to you. You will be my witnesses. He doesn't say you will be the people who go and correct the world, fix the world, change the world. By the way, that's never mentioned by Jesus ever. But instead, you will be witnesses, like in a courtroom, with no other task than just simply sharing what you know to be true. And other people will grab onto this. And then you have this movement of the church, which around 330 AD, I'm now bringing some more clues into the equation here about 65% of the Roman empire. Okay. This extremely secular society is now saying Jesus is Lord. There are no seminaries. There are no Sunday schools. There are no sermons on Sunday or public worship services. None of that exists. None of it anywhere in the new Testament. And yet through this movement of friendship, this thing called the church 65% of the Roman Empire is saying, yes, Jesus. Fast forward a few more years. Now you're at around 400 AD, like you just brought up. Okay. And within this time span, some creeds come along because no one has a copy of the New Testament. These are like random letters that were spread out like different cities. You know what I mean? Where the Apostle Paul or Peter or James or John are speaking to people in a specific place in a context dealing with certain things in relation to what they've been passing on in the name of Jesus. So we just have a creed-based, simple understanding of believers, right? Church identity, who we are in Jesus. And those creeds are declaim, proclaiming not just what God is like, but what we are because of what he is like and what he's done. And that's it. Amen? Yeah. All right. It's called the Holy Catholic Church is the line in the creed. And Catholic, lowercase c, so not meaning the denomination. Right. Universal. The, an all-encompassing word. The yeah. whole church, right? Yeah. Uh, the it's one that's like not limited. a movement limited. of people in the world. A universal movement of people in the world that believe in Jesus. That's what that means. Yeah. First uh, Corinthians 1-2, in Paul's greeting in his letter, he says, all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a pretty good definition of ecclesia. <laughs> mm. um, well, that's not right in the Bible. He is addressing a church in Corinth. 
Um, but he uses this phrase, which is a lot bigger than a city. All those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I can't help but think about, oh man, do you remember the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? The one guy shows up and is telling mm. God why God owes him justification. The the Pharisee, right? Well, the tax collector does essentially what I would think of as calling on the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Um, and he's just saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Um, it's that all bets are off. I'm just going to ask <laughs> for absolution here because I know I'm not going to deserve it. I'm not going to walk out of here and, and figure it out and I'm not going to go find it somewhere. So I need you to just be merciful. There's no other way to me. That's calling on the name of the Lord. And this is the picture of the church. This is the picture of the early church. It's all those people who are, are coming to that way of life in communion with one another right they are saying they've they've gotten past the prayer of the the tax collector in the sense of they've met Jesus they've seen and witnessed to his crucifixion burial resurrection ascension and then the spirit comes and as joel says is poured out on how much flesh all oh. flesh it yep. says peter preaches that to a whole bunch of people that are not from his town <laughs> and they all go yep. home believing and what do they do? I'm guessing they go and start sharing the good news and relationships start to grow in the context of believing that good news. Then, like from there you have the, the growth, the growth of the church, the multiplication of followers of Jesus. It wasn't anything other than people being excited about what they have found in Jesus. This is Ecclesia. <laughs> this is the communion of saints. It talks about in the creeds. But here's the point, like those creeds were built so that Christians could have some kind of a filter through which everything else could go through. Because you're right, they didn't have a Bible to carry around. They didn't have yeah. Paul. They didn't have John. Some, some of them may have heard of him before, right? And maybe had been read some of his stuff to them, but no one gets to sit down and read Paul, <laughs> These people yeah, are there's going no on. Press. Yeah, they're going on the testimony of people they've they've heard speaking in their living rooms, most likely, right? These letters sometimes will just get read out loud in a dining room or a backyard or something. So the life of the church for that, especially 200 years where there's intense persecution, yeah. like you don't raise your hand to say, Yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, unless you are no. ready to die. Yeah, so, you're gonna get fed to lions or set on fire in Nero's court. Yeah, this, you know, this is like true story. And it's not a couple like outliers either. It was a very <laughs> no. common happening, <laughs> right? So, I'm just trying to say, like, all of the life of the church that we see un, like, being unveiled in the New Testament, but also in early church history, it doesn't look like what we have now. And I don't no. think that the criticism is helpful or true to to basically what I would, I think, hear back sometimes is like, well, yeah, but it's it's 2023. Of course, it's different. To which I would say, yeah, but it's different in a way that's essential, not in a way that is just the development of history and people and time. It's that, too. That's I'm, I'm fine with that. I like yeah. we have technology now. Let's use technology. It's great. 
Um, but here's the thing. Right around, uh, I don't know the exact year, but late 300s, almost 400, you have this subtle move that when you look back, no one necessarily realized it, but it changed everything to where it was a communion of saints to now it's an institution. And it was, I'm With just going to read you. Clubs. I'm going to read you a made quote. Up of the, saints. Yeah. Yep. This is a quote from a guy who wrote a book called The Misunderstanding of the Church. His name's Emil Brunner. And it's just this, we need to, you need to settle in and listen to this. Okay. This might, this is a couple paragraphs. It's nothing intent, too intense, but he's writing this in 1953, by the way, this has been around a while. Okay. If there's one point in history where Ecclesia was co-opted into the church and its institutionalization, it was when, and here's where his quote starts, what was very near to the center becomes itself the center, namely the sacred meal, the Eucharist, what we call communion, the sacrament of communion. He says the meal becomes the essence of salvation itself, depriving the word which is a reference to Jesus, of his centrality. Okay, so the center moves. So the physical elements, the bread and the wine, which Jesus himself used, these originally had no independent significance, but they became the real media of God's self-communication. Mm. In a nutshell, the table became the one that it was it brought about to point to. The table was supposed to point to Jesus because Jesus is the center. Jesus right. is everything. That's what we were talking about with Christology. Everything rises and falls and hangs on and in Jesus. So when you remove him from the center and bring in this central practice of doing something with certain elements, right. now those are what provide salvation and therefore constitute, bring together define church yeah you have just made not a subtle but a seismic shift in the understanding of the church because when you do that now you have to have people to administer it and those people have to be qualified and you're going to have to have lines where you decide well who are members and who are not you you see where this goes it turns into a massive watershed um so jesus the living word of God incarnate, who by the spirit is in you and in the world and all around us, who's is now person, replaced. Right? As you were saying earlier in the podcast, yes, is now yep, replaced. Keep going. Now replaced with a practice. And now that practice is what hands out salvation. There it is. There it is. We, that's um, the history. That's, that's some of what is helpful to understand for why we have centered now sunday we have centered a one facing hundred situation where teaching sometimes called preaching is is the centerpiece so we're we're not even centered on the meal anymore um uh, in fact a lot of traditions on... might share a meal what they call a meal um once a month if if that and it's usually essentially a nod at a sacramental idea instead of no we actually share our lives and our food together 
They're yeah, very we different things. It. We bastardized it. I mean, you're talking about taking a meal and all that that meal would entail the fellowship, the hanging out, the reclining together, the conversation, the fears, the doubts, the struggles, the exhilarations that would be shared there. Like all of that in and around and in relation to the person and work of Jesus, okay, our Savior, got replaced with a thimble of grape juice and a horrible tasting wafer that you would receive in a line with people. Right. And as long as you heard some teaching that we call like being fed, which is just a gross interpretation of what it actually means or looks like to be fed. And then we add to that some songs that we sang that we call worship, which aren't bad just to be clear, but they don't even at all fit within at all the, the understanding of what worship actually is in the scripture. And then we added to that, this third component of the wafer, right? And the thimble juice full of grape juice, a thimble, not a thimble juice, just to be clear. And you're right, dude, it got hijacked in that moment and everything really went awry. So this is like ironic, but yet true. So I started a ministry in 2013, late 2013 in the city of Chicago called Table Network. And it was all about helping people get to an, a, a free understanding of the message of the table, as in the relationship that God has bestowed upon us in and through his son, fellowship with us in and through his son, like that at a table, right? That we recline at through life and in the, and in the here to come. And it's now called Lark. We're a part of it, right? We're leading in it. But some people have recently asked me, like, man, I still don't understand why you changed the name from Table Network to Lark. And what you just unpacked is why. Mm-hmm. No matter how hard I tried to make that message about a network of people gathered around the message of the table, people inevitably turned it into a network of people who were trying to offer the medium of the table yeah. as a means of this could be church. This right. could count. And if this could count, it'd be so simple and so many people could be a part. To which case I'm like, yeah, all we have now is just people eating meals. Still bound to examples and spiritual gurus and all the other things, right, that we add into this mix instead of people actually finding a life of faith, an unplanned life with Jesus in the day in and day out, which is the point. (laughs) (laughs) yep this Mm. here's a little a one-liner from brunner that i think really it's so clarifying he says essentially the church now he says they now receive the body of christ instead of being the body of christ bro that's the position that shifted when that happened that's a that's a mic drop right there Okay. Like, and this is the good news for us while we're, while we're sitting here talking about it, realizing this and looking back and diving into the new Testament, what we're saying is you can be the body of Christ. Cause you are <laughs> like, you already are. Yeah. He's he, what he has done has accomplished it. You, the flesh is useless. John says, you don't add anything to the mix you experience and enjoy and trust that this is true. 
and in communion with other people whom you can say in good conscience, they're included too, it's going to start to wake them up to see and trust it as well, which means your life together can finally come back to that communion of saints, <laughs> that idea of we're not a bunch of people who joined a thing out of a similar interest. No, 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 no. We are a bunch of people whom Christ has set up his dwelling inside of, right? Paul says, do yeah. you not know that you a are a common identity, temple? not a common interest? Yep. Yeah. Very different. We're not all coming together because we said the same creed yeah. <laughs> or shared the same doctrinal positions. Uh, that's just a, that's, well, the historical understanding of that's important because you watch so many people who are not a part of the Catholic as in denomination slash religion, right? And they pride themselves on being different than Catholicism, but not realizing that, you know, I just asked somebody this just two days ago, just say, hey, out of curiosity, if I don't come to your thing and I'm not a part of it in any way, am I still part of the church? Well, No. No way. They have a really hard time with that. Yep. Yeah. So I'm like, you just spent 30 minutes telling me how you're not the Catholic church and how different that you are. But in reality, you still have a medium by which I need to come and be partaken to be a part of, to receive the body of Christ instead of me already a part of the body of Christ and you already a part of the body of Christ because of what Jesus has done and our belief in him coming together wherever we are to simply enjoy that reality. And I mean, it was, it was a hard conversation, but you can just see like, it's funny, like how there's this movement of millions of people who would say we're different than that. that don't realize that at the end of the day, you're just the same. You still have the same medium you have to be a part of. You still have the same Pope that presides over it. And if you're not there, then you're not a part. And that is foreign to a New Testament understanding of the church. If it is man-made, it is not the church. Mm. You can take that to the bank. And it's freeing um, not to say there's anything wrong with what man has made. Those things are a lot in a, most cases i'd say they're more benign than anything yeah. if you understand the history of how they came about you ha would have a few more questions <laughs> but at the end of the day christ is still who christ is that doesn't change which means the church doesn't either um you're a part of this fellowship christ mm, we could go a lot of directions here I think you just summed it up in the, probably the clearest way. You are a part of this fellowship of the yeah. saints who believe in Jesus, yeah. period, because yep. of your faith in him. There's nothing else that you need to do. Everything else to me is a beautiful benefit of because I'm a part of this. I now get to slow down and hang out with friends. I get to pass on good news. And wherever conversations kick up, whether with someone who's who's just entering into this conversation about Jesus, someone who's new to the conversation of Jesus, somebody who's been in it for 50 years is irrelevant if the conversation is about Jesus. Well, guess what? You now have an ecclesia. You now have people gathered in the name of Jesus. But ultimately, biblically, what we're saying is 
what you have are some people in the world who are part of the one church in the world, okay? People who are part of the body, the fellowship of Jesus in the world, having a moment of conversation and celebration about that goodness. You don't have a new church plant. You don't have this independent thing called first church slash whatever. You know what I mean? Where there's an in and there's an out. You just have people hitting a pause button in life around this good news. And it's just that simple. It's that freeing. And what's beautiful about it is it's not just an unhurried way of life in him, but it's unlimited, right? Like the church really does get to form and shape and spread and grow and multiply when it is that simple. Mm -hmm. There's just not a lot of money to make in that. Mm -mm. There's no fame. There's no fortune in that. There's no way to become an Instagram influencer pastor in that endeavor. And for some, that just scares the hell out of them, dude. I've been there. If I don't have a way to measure, map, and manage this, then I don't have a way to preside over it. Therefore, I'm not essential. And in the way that the world operates, that's that's frightening. But yep. yet, that's also liberating if you've grabbed onto what Jesus actually said. Yeah. Yes. It's So let's connect a few more dots and get to some of the even more joyful um, good news about this. Uh, so if we leave off, if we left off where the meal replaced the word, right? Where right. the bread and the wine replaced the actual Jesus. And that turns into this, this thing that ever so slowly grows into a massive empire and institution that, for many, many, many centuries was like as powerful as the king. You had popes and kings and they made all the calls, right? Well, the Declaration of Independence for the US of A cut the legs out from under that power structure on purpose, (laughs) right? The whole concept of this declaration was we're tired of your king and your religion telling us who we are and telling us what to do. That's a crude way to say it, but no, this is reality. Yeah. This is what happened when the, when America revolted and became free. Um, The power that the church had in the world was at least in America. And because America became very powerful for a lot of the rest of the world is no longer a religious thing. The nutshell here of why I'm saying that is because now the church, after that moment, had to completely reinvent how they were going to get power in the world. If they were going to continue to try to barter in the public world with the same kind of power that the world has. Yeah. Enter corporate church. Enter this idea of churches that have to survive, and their definition of survival is primarily financial and following right? You've got to have Mm -hmm. people in order to get the finances to keep this thing moving and rolling. Well, anytime you have a commercialization of something, you get what we call competition. (laughs) And that competition is what splintered the church into a, I mean, it's somewhere around 44,000 at this point, uh, denominations. And 
a lot of us are like, oh, that's so terrible and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think it should have happened, but it did. But we're all thinking we've got to find the right one. And then we've all got to throw our weight behind it. And then we got to make that thing really, really run. And I'm like, you got to make it go. Here it is. Like, again, we're, we're trying to fix. A lot of us are seeing the problem there, but a lot of us in the church feel what we call despair because we're looking at this like it's so far gone. Like what, what yeah. can ever fix this now? And the same guy I was quoting earlier, Brunner, he Lark. said, don't, don't try Lark. to go back. Lark's what fix it. It's what fix it now. <laughs> Lark is going to fix it. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> We've got it, everybody. Man, like it's that despair, he says, that is the vice of modern Christianity. Yep. Our vice is despair over the church. But he goes on to say like, no, 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 you don't get it. It's not a broken church. You can't call it that. It's a communion of brokenness. It's a community of broken people. It's we are still together in Christ. That never changed. (laughs) So which goes back to what you were saying earlier and really just understanding the Christology at the heart of all this. Yeah. You are who you are in Jesus held together in and through by him, period. Our failure to believe this, to recline in this, to rejoice in this, um, definitely has some horizontal effects, but it does not change our vertical reality. Mm -hmm. Yep. We exist in the one who we feel so compelled to chase. Like the church has told us to pursue God. They've told us to pursue the one who's in us and whom we are in. That's like, that just leads to madness. That leads to the kind of discouragement you see all around us. Yeah. So, so church, like if I'm speaking to to church, I'm saying you are not coming in from without, like you're not liable even to fall out of this because you're in the one who's in the father. You're in the one who makes reality what reality is. Yeah. You can't, you can't escape that. So the church, like, right. We've said this before. It's not a club that you have to get into. It's not a pathway to God. The church is the communion of those who are learning how to trust Christ. They're learning how to be loved by the father. They're learning how to, uh, with the father, compassionately, consolingly bear one another's burdens. They're finally free to bear one another's burdens because they're not trying so damn hard to get into a thing that they're not in yet. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Paul or, or calls that the whole law and the prophets of bearing one another's burdens. <laughs> uh, so I think the church, if I can use it in the biggest sense possible, <laughs> like all of them, all the people, all the, the institutions, all the versions they're going to be so surprised and surprised isn't even the right word. One day when they real astonished, they're going to be wrecked in good, a good kind of wrecked when they realize how free they are. I really think that like, we're going to be so surprised by freedom. And I think that anytime you encounter Jesus and you engage the scriptures, that's what he's trying to push you into. He's trying to help you see your freedom. The church is the people who agree 
with Jesus. <laughs> They're not the ones who obey him to the right amount. They're not the ones who fix the world to the right degree. Church are the ones who agree with Jesus because Jesus has said that he's in you. Done. That's good news. Yeah. Yeah. Done. The Period. church, Paul says in Ephesians 1, he has put, God has put all things under his Jesus feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That is a breathtaking gut punch, like truth bomb. Yeah. He is his body. The church is the body of Christ. He don't just like slowly add to that throughout time. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. how we, we think about him. Like, Oh, the fullness of him who fills all in all, man, that's who we are. Yeah. Good luck branding that one. Right. Yeah. You're, you're not going to brand this. You're not going to build this. You're not going to manage this. You're not going to multiply this. It th this is this is something that supersedes humanity. This is something to rejoice in, to be in awe of, to, right? To be struck by, to be caught up in, to get lost in. And that is the life of faith in Him, and that life of faith makes you one with Him, and it makes you one with others, in communion, and that communion globally is called the church. Dude, that's freeing. That's freeing for the for everybody, man. That's freeing for the stay-at-home mom, right? Who's overwhelmed with three little ones and wondering, like, I'm constantly being told to do all these things in the name of Jesus, but yet I'm, you know, I've got a one, a three, and a five-year-old at home. This this is a true story. I had a, a lady from that from that world asked me this just yesterday. She's like, what does it look like for me to join in what Jesus is doing, to be a part of the making of disciples? I said, well, that passage is a reference to as you are going, which we'll be getting into soon on this podcast. She's like, yeah. And I said, well, what, what's what's in your life as you're going? She said, my life is like these three kids nonstop right now. Yeah. So rejoice in the simplicity and the beauty of just loving on them. You're the church. I have a you friend. Don't, you who... don't have anywhere else to go. Step into that. And she, dude, she literally teared up. She's like, I've carried a weight around my neck for years in the name of all the things that I thought I was supposed to do in the name of church. Never realized that right under my nose were three people that Jesus put in my life to love on and to teach to be the church. And that is no small thing. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, her task is far beyond anything I'm faced with. Yeah, but I think she had never really grabbed on to the the simplicity of what could be in the day to day life because of the reality of what is in Jesus. You know, which is I feel like what we've been unpacking this whole time. Yeah, this is why it's that simple. This is why it's that beautiful. Why it's that freeing to just join in whatever God's doing right where you are. Instead of and, what your anxiety is telling you to do. Yeah. And what the freedom means practically. 
as practical as possible, it, it it's never less than you you will find out that you're the one hanging on to your guilt, not Jesus. The church mm-hmm. isn't like the ecclesia, the church that is because of Jesus isn't guilting you. It's not reminding you of your guilt, using it to motivate you to go get something done better or more. Yeah. The, the reality and the practicality of all of this is that you're free of guilt. And I was talking to a friend in this room, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, just talking about all of this, this life, this like this thing that feels actually foreign to so much of what we do and call church now. And that was one of the things he said to me. He's like, I just feel less and less guilty. Mm. Right. And when he said that, I was just like, that's like, it's such a sacred moment. Um, And it's not to say he doesn't do things that make him guilty of something that was done wrong. Right. He's like, I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm doing them thing, those things on purpose. I'm just saying the guilt that I feel a responsibility for that leads me to go do things to get out from under that guilt. I don't, I don't feel that anymore. And I was like, amen. Like this is now we're getting somewhere. And I think to kind of, to button this up, here's the last, the last thing I'll say, Russ. And this is a quote from Ephraim Radner again, who I was quoting, or I actually hadn't quoted him yet. He says the fundamental call among churches today, any churches can only be to abide mutually each other's brokenness to abide mutually Mm. each other's brokenness to to stick it out in in the midst of our brokennesses right the communion of brokenness is what god does with the rebels and the deniers and the helpless it is to our inescapable judgment that what we do with god is to drive him from our midst in the form of our brothers and sisters and he had just got done with a whole page of talking about how There's no such thing as a person who's not excommunicated. We've all excommunicated each other. Everybody's excommunicating everybody. And he, he drops this right here. And I love that. What we do with God is to drive him from our midst in the form of our brothers and sisters. We don't have to do that anymore. We don't. We're free. Yeah. We get to just welcoming, right? Welcome him and like, into the brokenness, the struggles, the fears, the doubts, the shame. Yep. And know that we're loved and they're loved. And together we can learn what it looks like to live loved. And that communion, whether it's you with a friend online, you with a friend on a phone call, you with a handful of friends where you live at a pub or a park or, a, a you know, a workroom, uh, you know, the table in the break room, as I would say, or where I was discipled, man, to follow Jesus. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wherever it might be, man, the beach after you just got done surfing, the pier where you just got done fishing, the the rest stop, man, from a from a long motorcycle ride with some with some friends. The the common meal, man, that you share with neighbors, like I just did last night, it can happen anywhere Mm -hmm. i think it will just let jesus be jesus and let faith just be the life of trusting him and let the church just be who we are when we do so 
and let the ecclesia, right, as we've said, this this gathering of the church, just be wherever two people come together around what's true of them and others because of Jesus, period. Mm. I love it, man. Thanks for the insights, dude. Thanks for the the background and the connecting some dots and the shedding some light on other things that we haven't gotten to. If you're new to this, we invite you to grab a copy of Reclaim. You can find that on the website, larksite.com. Also on Amazon, just Google Reclaim, Russ Johnson, or Reclaim, Tony Sorcy. It'll pop up. You'll also find on our website, there is a free download right there on the homepage. Click on it. It's uh, What is Church? It's an actual pretty good little, like kind of thinking like a mini book in a sense that we've put together that really gets into some of the nuance of what we've been talking about, all the various scriptures that go into that. Again, it's available for free through an account that you can set up right there on the website. So dude, all that said, thanks for jumping in, man. Thanks for the reclaim. Chapter seven, church 2.0, the only one we've done a two-parter on, but just needed to do so, dude. Thanks for being here, man. And to all of you out there, hope you're grabbing onto this good news and all that could come from it. And to that, I say, cheers. Cheers. Cheers.